Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening in with us today on our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. Our podcasts are brought to you by the Military Child Education Coalition, whose work is focused on ensuring quality educational opportunities for all military-connected children affected by mobility, family separation, deployments, and transition. Here at the MSEC, we want to ensure that every military child is college, workforce, and life-ready. In our podcast, we will share your stories as we talk to military service members, professionals, parents, and military kids. Please like, share, and subscribe. And we appreciate your comments, questions, and ideas for topics that you would like to hear more about. All of us here at the For the Sake of the Child podcast would like to thank Travis Officer Spouses Club for sponsoring today's podcast. We appreciate your generous support that allows us to not only share information and resources in this podcast, but also build connection through shared experiences, stories, providing military families and professionals tools to provide us a convoy of support to military-connected children. Thank you again for making a difference in the lives of military children. So this podcast is a little bit different. Today, you get to listen in to a conversation that we had after a recent parent-to-parent school transitions with exceptional needs webinar. After the webinar, we stuck around and talked to Dr. Paul Bond, and he's the Director of Outreach for the Child and Family Behavioral Health System Program Management Office for the United States Army Medical Command. And Dr. Bond retired from the Hawaii Department of Education in 2009. There, he served as the State Director Director for Special Education and Student Support. So as you'll hear in this interview, Dr. Bond has vast experience in the area of special education, also applying the communities of practice model to educational systems and more recently to the military. He's been a presenter of ours at our national training seminar and that's where I met him last summer. He's just a joy to listen to so I know you'll enjoy our conversation with Dr. Bond as much as we did. So stay tuned for our conversation with Dr. Paul Bond that we had after our recent School Transitions with Exceptional Needs webinar. If you want to learn more about some of what we talked about in the podcast, I will put the link in the show notes to the School Transitions with Exceptional Needs webinar, and that is going to go into a lot more detail than what we talked about in the podcast today. So definitely check that out if you want more information about students with exceptional needs and school transitions. Dr. Paul Bond, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell us a little bit of your background before we begin? A little bit of my background, uh, why I'm so enthusiastic, is I've been in the field of special education all my life, uh, probably since I was in kindergarten in uh, 1955. So I predate uh, IDA and Section 504 and all of that in terms of my involvement with um, uh, students and, and families with special needs. So I'm an old guy, as you can see by my picture. I have a snow white head of hair, um, but the spirit inside is young at heart. So no worries about that. So I, my background is I'm a psychologist, um, school psychologist by training, as well as a, a speech language pathologist. So I. Uh, have wear many different hats, really don't know how to hold down a job probably. Uh, and I also worked um, quite extensively with uh, students who are identified as uh, gifted learning disabled as well. 
So that's a little bit about me and um, I'm open for questions from uh, the participants. So I see we have one participant who asked, um, there are so many different forms that you need when you're moving overseas. Do you have suggestions for making the process easier? Boy, that's, that's tough. I, I know that there's an, a special education uh, insert that MSEC um, has in their uh, store that has a section developed by Dr. Eric Flake, Colonel Flake, um, and he has excellent suggestions for uh, overseas families uh, with families moving overseas with kiddos with special needs. Um, I think the best advice I would give is to keep that binder, that IEP binder that was thoroughly reviewed is the best way to uh, keep everything in order would be my recommendation. Katya, anything from you as you have lived overseas as well for quite some time? Um, yes, and we, had, we actually had to go through the screening as well. So I think everybody just has to go through the screening. Is that correct? If, if, as you're receiving orders to go overseas, you're automatically screened? That's my understanding as well. Yes, so that, that happened to us too. Yes, having a, that binder is really, really helpful. Have documentation, and especially if you're moving overseas, you want to reach out to the, you know, what's available, what kind of school system is available, what is available medically overseas. And um, so doing that uh, research and being proactive is really, really important, especially as you're heading overseas. I couldn't agree more, and we work closely with the uh, Dodia schools with our School of Health program in Germany, and um, it, it's good advice to uh, get in touch with uh, the Dodia system, in, in this case would be, you know, to find out more about the uh, schools sponsored by Dodia in the assignment that uh, you might be headed off to. Let me ask you a different question. When we talk about the difference in involvement for parents when it comes to, to advocating for their children with exceptional needs, what are some of the significant differences in parent involvement or being part of that educational team when it comes to IEP and 504 meetings? Sure, I, I'm going to give kudos to what you started out with, Katja, the realities implications and needs that that particular slide and under the needs it really is about building relationships and making connections so here's my my friendly um, recommendation is I would add a column called actions and in the column actions I would here are my five C's like in cat uh, what I would emphasize and it's already there under needs is really to connect um, connect with the school, connect with your teachers, uh, connect with the school district ahead of time. Uh, that, that is such a key point about um, making that connection early on. In addition to connecting, you want to communicate. So this is where the binder that you have and all the letters that you might have from um, various teachers and providers, uh, you want to be able to communicate what has 
been the, the course of your child's educational history and what kind of supports they've had along the way. So communicating with the team is very important. And that involves or moves to the next level of, of relationship building, and that's to collaborate. And collaborating is that, you know, you're there as a, an equal partner. So you, you want to make the team feel comfortable as well and have them make you feel comfortable, that you feel um, included. So you have that relationship and trust. So you're able to collaborate um, as a team because it's going to be important to collaborate in order for you to coordinate. You're really the champion, the cheerleader, the, the uh, high five person of the group to be able to coordinate not just what's happening at the school, but also with uh, your primary care provider, your pediatrician, if you have other uh, professional supports that may be necessary, uh, might be with uh, other programs that, that might be available through the installation um, to, to really coordinate uh, your child's education, care, and support uh, from the total community. So that coordination becomes important. And the fifth thing I would say is to celebrate. Oftentimes, IEPs and 504 meetings uh, appear to be very stoic, very staid, very stiff. Um, um, I've been in this field all my life. So what I look back and say, you know, it, oftentimes what it lacked was a sense of humor, a sense of um, celebration, because we're always giving what appears to be bad news. So it's really important to celebrate. And this is what I mean by that is, tell me, you know, what my child has done that, that you see is um, a really good thing, a strength. So let's talk about the strengths as well, because it's through the strengths that we can get to uh, the growth that needs to take place. If you just work with someone on their weakness, you're going to wear them down. That's, that's not going to be effective. So we have to understand the strengths and celebrate those strengths in order to get the progress and growth that the team would like to have. Sorry for that long-winded answer. No, not at all. I absolutely love that suggestion because you're so right. We we always focus so much on 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 the fixing part, and you know that isn't right, and we need to to look at this and that. But but we often overlook the positive side. So I, I really love that. Thank you so much for you suggesting are. that. Well, I was just going to say I've been you know involved with IEP meetings now that I retired when, you know, requested by a family or I work with uh, the medical professionals, so the child psychiatrist that I work with will um, ask the family if I could be involved. And it's really important to, when we talk about the child's strengths, um, to give more insight into what we mean. You know, we can say things like, well, uh, he really loves soccer, and they say, thank you very much, we'll write that down. But then take that one further, I would say, he really loves soccer, and do you think that we could include maybe some activities or stories, or if he could do a paper about, you know, his his favorite um, soccer player? This might help him to feel more comfortable uh, about doing a written presentation and an oral report. So 
engage the IEP team in more than just the perfunctory, you know, these are the strengths, okay, let's move on. It's really getting back mm -hmm. to that relationship building. So thank you. Uh, absolutely. And, and maybe this leads uh, very well into uh, my next question. Um, in the webinar, we addressed a lot of things, but we didn't, did not address twice exceptional students. So what do you think, what should parents know about students who might be gifted, but who also have, say, a learning disability? I would say as far as the strategy would be the same to connect to communicate what the, the what you believe are your child's twice exceptional um, needs are, uh, to collaborate on that because the, one of the challenges for the exceptional end of the continuum that's called gifts and talents is that there really are no uh, common universal agreed upon definition of how you identify give students with gifts talents. Um, there are traditional ways that generally people have relied on in the past, such as uh, an IQ test and so on, but that's really a narrow approach to gifts and talents. So the challenge is that on that end of the, the continuum, the definition for identification is not as clear. And also because it's not under in a federal law that um, requires the identification of students with gifts and talents, like the IDA, so it's not part of IDA, uh, there's a very great variability, which is a good thing as well, because it gives individual school districts and schools the ability to um, identify kids that are called uh, gift-talented uh, youngsters. But with the twice exceptional, and in my experience in working in Hawaii with um, a special a private school before I joined the department, working with students um, that were identified both as gifted, talented, and with some learning disabilities, it really is working the, the process together, always looking at what are the gifts and talents the kids have, and how can I use that to get at uh, working on the disabilities. You know, a specific example, I had a, a student who probably was about third grade, was just phenomenal in her understanding of concepts. Uh, and yet, her math scores were down like in the first grade. So I really had to work with uh, the, the student on using different strategies that taught her algebra, pre-algebra, and still working with concepts that were at her level to build the confidence. And with that confidence um, came her strategies that, that helped her to be above grade level, well above, um, by understanding the, the concepts of math rather than just the operations of math. Thank you again for discussing this topic. It, it appears to be a topic that may not receive a lot of attention at some schools. Yes, and, and this is probably what my experience has been as well, is that kiddos that have gifts, talents, and also disabilities may end up manifesting, um, showing up as behaviors. Uh, they're either going to be bored, the, 
they're maybe inclined to be the class clown, um, you know, kind of because they understand. So at a younger age, it's really important to um, really focus in on the twice exceptionalities rather than just harping on what they're not doing. And, and that's something where the parent might be the better person to understand what the child's abilities and, and talents are to bring them together uh, to the school to, yeah, to, to work with the student. And we at parent to parent, we always say you are your child's best advocate. Right. So that really is so very important. Do we have any other questions at this point, Susan and Tara? What can homeschool families do when trying to get a diagnosis and resources, especially when the school system is pressuring enrollment to get services? Do you have any suggestion on that? Well, yeah, that's a tough one because each state is so different. Each school district might be different as well with how you manage homeschool um, students. It, it probably, uh, you know, through the child find, they have to look reach out to all students. So I would use that avenue of um, the obligation on the child fine, which is not just limited to the public schools. And, and do that, use that avenue to get the public school system to do the child fine, to make the recommendations on the evaluation um, and not feel pressured to be actually involved. You, you know, you may have to kind of work the system at times. You may enroll to get the evaluation, then disenroll. So sometimes it's it's having to come together and connect and communicate and kind of collaborate, then coordinate a, a strategy on. So how do we end up being able to comply with the requirements that the public school system might have? Um, as well as to get the evaluation done in a way that's legitimate, and then decide if uh, you choose not to stay within the public school system uh, to disenroll. I haven't heard that suggestion before. Let me ask you another question. What happens if a school believes that a medical assessment is necessary to de determine whether a student has a disability and needs special education and related aids and services because of the disability, are parents if expected the, to pay for that assessment? No, if the school initiates the request for a medical evaluation, that is uh, an evaluation at the request of the school system, so the school pays Okay, That's great. for that evaluation. It's good to know. Do you have any additional recommendations for resources or support for military parents with children with exceptional needs that we might have missed? I think you've really covered uh, quite a lot. I, I think that MSEC is a great resource. Uh, you, you know, military one source for military parents. Um, I recommended that CIPR, the uh, Center for Information uh, for, and Center for Parent Information and Resources. That's a technical assistance uh, center that's throughout the country, and uh, it these are technical assistance centers that help uh, connect with the their local 
uh, special parent information networks within each state and region. So that's a good resource as well uh, for parents to take a look at. I think the greatest challenge that, that you pointed out at the beginning, now that I've been with the military for almost 10 years, is that the frequent moves um, are the realities and, and you know, that implications of uh, having to restart and understand, especially in special education, that things are not necessarily the same um, as you move from state to state and school district to school district. There are you know, variations of what they do and how they do things. So it really is important for you as a parent uh, to be that cheerleader that you know best and that uh, having that binder um, is really important in my opinion. I think that was a common, commonly misunderstood concept that sometimes when you talk about equivalent services that especially parents that have been in one place and they get used to how things work in one place and then you move yes. to the new place and things aren't exactly the same and then there that equals frustration. So we hope that this provides that understanding of expecting some differences in, in some circumstances and that things can't always be exactly the same. That's, that's a common thing that, that we hear as a frustration and a confusion among parents. Yes, I agree. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and, and talking to our listeners about all this information when it comes to special education. As we mentioned, it can sometimes be daunting and overwhelming. And so it's nice to hear different people's perspectives and, and all the insight that you've gleaned over all the years that you've been involved with special education. So thank you again so much for joining us. Thank you for the opportunity to join the webinar. This is terrific. Thank you again. This podcast has been made possible by the generous donation of Travis Officer Spouses Club. I want to thank you again for listening to our podcast for the sake of the child. We would like to invite you to visit our website at www.militarychild.org. Like the MSEC on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Please join us again next time as we share more stories that impact our military-connected kids.